Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 20. On this episode, I sit down with Tom Kelsey, Music Equipment Manager of Land Pro in Upstate New York, and Wayne Brozick, Corporate Service Manager at 21st Century Equipment in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. Today, we're going to discuss the right to repair, right to alter legislation that's been floating around in a lot of different states and how that will affect dealerships and the industry as a whole. Both Wayne and Tom are very involved in their respective states and have lots of in, uh, industry knowledge about the subject. Guys, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Tracy. Tracy. All right, so really doesn't matter what side of the ball you're on on this. This is a pretty, uh, pretty touchy, I don't know if touchy subject is the right word to use or not, but it is a, a very influential subject, um, whether you're a dealership or, or you're working with uh, you know, John Q. Public out there looking at that stuff. And the uh, right to repair legislation is a, uh, you know, Tom, why don't I just let you jump in there and kind of explain what it is. What is the <laughs> definition uh, of the right to repair and right to alter? What does that look like? Well, first of all, the law as it's introduced or has been introduced and talked about in a number of different states and the way it's been introduced in, in New York State is purely a right to repair law. Personally, I think that there's two different levels of, of that law. One of them is I truly believe that if we're doing our the right thing for our customers, there's nothing wrong with us assisting them in the repair within certain parameters. But if, if they get access to some software and, and some encrypted codes, then it becomes more than just a right, right to repair and possibly a right to alter, which changes the whole spectrum of performance, reliability, emissions, and so on and so forth. So the law as it's been introduced in New York State is pretty, pretty much a broad form right to repair which gives the end user or some independent repair shops the ability to acquire repair diagnostic codes, um, provides them with the method of being able to, to change those influence codes, alter them in one way or another, and, and there's, it's not very well defined. And, and unfortunately, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the people that are introducing the legislation really don't know our equipment, period. Okay. All right. So, when you, you've been in a few conversations, I'm sure, with, with the folks here based on your, on your thing. So, when you take a look at how it's going to affect from the service standpoint side of it, how is this going to affect what you see happening in um, in Nebraska and in, 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 in the area? Well, I agree with Tom, Casey. Um, you know, LB67, as it was presented to our unicameral earlier this year, is, again, a right to repair act. But um, part of LB67 also got into um, technology, not just for ag or um, ag equipment, it also went into medical equipment, copiers, Apple iPhones, technology, all, all kinds of different, it, it was just not right to repair ag sector pieces of equipment. It was facing all kinds of uh, technology. So my perspective on right to repair is, you know what, we, we do want to help our partners and our partners being our farmers and, and producers. 
We want to help them have access to be able to repair their vehicles. John Deere released a service advisor um, for customers that they can purchase and it'll help them pull up diagnostic trouble codes and give them access to repair manuals, all those types of things. The real issue that I see is, again, not giving access to code where you can alter the engineering parameters of that piece of equipment. In other words, we don't want them to be able to crank up horsepower on something that was designed for 345 horse. We don't want it to be able to crank up to 370 horse when it wasn't engineered in spec for that. And then later we have all kinds of issues with it. We, our technicians are faced with trying to scramble and figure out what caused this component to break, you know? And are we gonna have reoccurring repairs on the same failed component because somebody's went in and altered the horsepower and this piece of equipment isn't, or, or part isn't designed for that level of horsepower and it keeps breaking, then it looks bad on us as a repair facility, you know? We have repeat repairs and it looks like we can't fix a, a component when it really wasn't engineered to that specification. Right, <clears throat> so, so Tom, when you look at this, How's this legislation, when you look at just from a used equipment guy standpoint, right, used equipment manager standpoint, if this stuff goes through and passes, stuff like that, how's that going to change how you look at, at, at equipment and how you look at selling equipment? So well, I, I think, think the, one of the things that really startled me or, or made me take a second look at this is we're all in as a dealer group of trying to as Wayne said, partner with our with our customers. But it, if they have the right to get to some of these encrypted codes or some of the technology that's built into these machines, all of a sudden we've got a machine that, as you well know, we take it in trade five years from now. The emissions don't meet normal standards. The safety parameters have been altered. I don't know what our guys are taking in trade because it's been altered. So where do we come up with a valid competitive price that it's marketable at? And that's a scary issue. I think that the, the fact that some people believe that they ought to have the opportunity to do this is fine. But I, I don't think that they're looking at the big picture in terms of, you know, we're dealing with equipment that's potentially as a used piece is worth three and four hundred thousand dollars. We get it in our shops and we realize that it's not within the original parameters. It's not the machine that we thought we were taking in trade. Either we're hung or we knew of it ahead of time and we had to take it in trade at a diminished value. So that's not looking out for our partners in the most transparent way. Okay. So Wayne, I'm going <clears> to <throat> throw a scenario out there at you. Would this be similar to kind of the way I'm understanding this and what I've read about it would be similar to if I had a, a Ford F-250 diesel pickup and I decided to chip it, right? Right. And I run it, you know, from a 400 horsepower engine up to a 500 horsepower engine or whatever. And then I decided to go back into you know, whatever Ford dealership I want to use and, and take the chip out and make everything go back to the way it was. Um, that's similar to what we're talking about here, right? In, the, in, it could, right? I mean, the Right to Repair Act is going to, the way it was written or the way it's uh, presented would actually allow 
the end user to alter the parameters. Now, with that being said, if, if we can come to some kind of a neutral ground, kind of like where, where we're at currently in today's environment with the release of Customer Service Advisor, where you can go in and actually look at the codes, you can tell what the code is, and, and use it the same way we do as a dealership, and use that code and, and find the, the problem sensor or wiring or whatever, and you use that to repair it, that, that's, that's fine. That's totally transparent. That, there's no issue with that. I think where the issue comes is if you can actually get to the code and alter it and crank up the horsepower. Now, now we've got, or you can override a sensor, right? Then then it can become a safety issue. That that's a whole different, whole different topic, in my opinion, than just being able to come in and read a code, understand what that code means, and help yourself repair that. And I, I think that producers today have that ability. We have that ability with Service Advisor Remote. We can go in and pull codes for you remotely. Um, telematics enables us to do that. You don't have to come in. We don't have to send a service technician to you. We can tell you, hey, you know what? That code is a EGR sensor is failing. You know, you might go out and take a look at it. It might be your def's low. Whatever it is, we can give that to you today. You can actually order that today from Deer and have that on your farm yourself. You don't need to get in and alter the the parameters of the the piece of equipment. In my opinion, to to say that you you now have the right to repair it. Right, we don't go in and alter those specs. We we go in, we pull the codes, we find out what it is, we replace the sensor, we fix the sensor, we do whatever. I'm totally open to that kind, of, and I would support that kind of right to repair. But when when you can go in and actually chip them like you can, like you're talking a Ford F250 diesel, you can go in and throw a chip in that thing and ramp up the horsepower. And next thing you know, your rear end's failing, your transmission's failing. You know, Massachusetts in 2011 and 12. Yeah, it was 11 and 12. They passed the Automobile Right to Repair Act, and that opened it up. And, and now you can buy super chips and all these other performance chips and, and totally change the, the factory specs of what that car or truck was designed for. I'm not so sure that's a great idea. Right. So we'll, we'll follow up with that one, one thing. So let's say that you could go through and you, and you could change these parameters. And I trade for something, I bring it in the shop, and I'm like, hey, guys, I want you to go back and look and see if anything's messed up, you know, anything's been jacked with and where, where that looks like. Obviously, if you can change it, you can change it back. Right. right? So would you, as, a, as would your service technician be able to say, yeah, Casey, this, this has been changed and this hasn't been changed? Currently, as it stands today, no. We would have, we would be able to tell there's been a software update, but that would come from the manufacturer right. to that ECU. There, there's no way to alter it today, so hopefully if, if this does in fact pass or, you know, it'll get represented. I mean, ours, ours hit in 2017 and didn't get any traction behind it. Um, I'm, I'm sure it's not the end of this discussion or topic. But if it would come to that, I would hope that, that there's got to be some cookie trail to say, yes, this, this specification was changed on this date, this time, mm-hmm. and now it's back to factory standards. Yeah. So, so, Tom... When you yep. look, what's just so people understand what what's stopping someone from doing this now? I mean, getting into the computer and, and hacking into it or whatever it is. What's stopping them from from doing these kind of things now? Well, I think deers, not just deer, any major manufacturers probably built some safeguards in there, and, and they regard most of them as encrypted codes and so on that. Presently, if we have a machine that fails and we have to change 
an ECU, it's not uncommon for that process to take a day or two because Deere's going to reassign the serial number of the ECU to the base machine. We have to program it to their specifications and work through that through DTAC so that we know we still have a bonafide machine that performs at the same levels as the way it was acquired. That, I believe, is the basis of concern over this right to repair law. If, if it's loosely written and it is, in fact, legislated so that it becomes available, we've lost that quality assurance provision that the manufacturer built into it. Okay. So, so if this stuff does pass and it gets through and, and this does kind of open up a, a new door to the, you know, shade tree independent shop type guys, what, when, what's the difference, you know, what, what are the, what are the, what are our technicians going to have training wise that those guys aren't going to have? Oh, okay. So there's, there's a whole gamut of training, right? I mean, we spend hundreds of thousands of dollars every year training our technicians. If you just open this ECU up and anybody can go out and buy a software programmer kit or go to your local auto parts store and pick up a reflash and you could reflash this PCM, how much training did you have, right? You bought the component, you bought the, the little tool to change it, you read maybe 20 minutes of how to hook it up and, and now you're the pro, you're gonna change the, the parameters of this $250,000, $300,000 piece of equipment that was designed and spec for each one of these components to do its own thing at a certain parameter and a certain guideline. Now you're just gonna go in and ramp up the horsepower because that's what everybody talks about is ramping up horsepower. I, Again, our dealership goes through hours and hours and weeks and months of training. I'm not saying an independent repair shop doesn't do training, but they don't have this access to the same level of training our technicians go through, right? I mean, we go to the factory, we get hands-on training, we've got webinars that we attend, we, we have hours and hours of, of computer classes that we take, our technicians go through every year to be certified to work on just a specific component and now we're just going to open that up and anybody can repair it and not even repair it because I don't, I don't truly believe it's a repair act. It's an alteration act is what it really boils down to. It's not that we're, you're, you're, you're opening it up to, so somebody can repair something because they can get the information today. They can call us today when we can tell them remotely what that code is. We can tell them what the problem is. It's really a right to alter the, the piece of equipment. And, and that's where I have a real issue with it. Right. Well, that's, with, go ahead, Tom. Well, yeah, with today's telematics, there again it goes back to the. I think it, a lot of it boils down to the attitude of the dealers, and I, I can't imagine that that John Deere dealers are that much more skilled than some of our competitors at having access to these telematics and and actually being able to walk our our customers through the process of identifying and correcting as long as it's not altering there it just becomes that transparency that we want to build that relationship with our customers and do whatever is right for them and their fleet so that their fleet maintains its the same integrity that it had when they acquired it 
my, my thing with this is that, back to your point, Wayne, I mean, you look at starting to sell what some of these machines cost now, like a new combine or a new four-wheel drive or a new high-horsepower row crop or something like that, you're looking at a house, you know, I mean, you're 300000 400000 maybe even in some cases even $500,000 for some of these pieces of equipment. I would have a hard time making that kind of an investment and then just reading something on the internet, stick a chip someplace, and then hope for the best. Right. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, it's just, <clears throat> you're if you do something wrong, when you plug that in and you don't have it set right, or you have it set way outside of a parameter that's there, you're talking about blowing up an $80,000 engine that the warranty is no longer good on. You're talking about blowing up a thirty or $50,000 transmission. I mean, you've got a lot of money at stake there just to increase your horsepower, 50 horsepower or 100 horsepower or whatever it is. Casey, I think you that's a great example, too. When you start looking at the value of a, of a piece of equipment versus a house, if you, if you had a new house and... You thought that you weren't, uh, the, the electric system in the house wasn't providing enough capacity for you. You certainly wouldn't go down to the electrical box and see if there was a way for you to alter that and feel comfortable going to sleep that night with your family in the house if you've altered that. Right. That's what we're trying to avoid here. Right. Tom, I think you bring up a really valid point. I mean, we... We live in the city, right? There's city ordinances that prevent us as homeowners from just going down to the electrical distribution panel and adding additional breakers or even adding or changing the wiring in the house. I mean, Casey, if you wanted to add on to your house, you have to go get a building permit. The building permit says, okay, if you're going to do electrical work, it's got to be done by a certified electrician, right? I mean, you can't just go put 12-3 wire in this house and right. just say, hey, it's all good. The city says, no, there's a, there's a reason. And why is there a reason? There's laws in place and there's laws enacted to prevent you and your family, right? right. And others that, that come to your home. So yeah. I, I think there's there's right to repair and there's right not to alter. I think those are two different things. And I think that's how the law needs to be looked at and viewed. Yeah. When I read this legisla legislation and I look at what's out there, there is a, a lot of blurred lines when it comes to the right to repair or the right to alter. It starts out as the right to repair and by the time you get kind of into the minutia of it, they're talking about altering a piece of equipment or a computer or a phone or whatever it is that they're, that they're doing. And it, it quickly changes from, um, you know, getting to be able to diagnose what's out there based on codes um, or to altering, you know, your iPhone so you can use a mouse on your iPhone or those kind of things, you know. And you can scour the Internet. And you can find all these different hacks out there. But the overarching part that I think people forget to look into is that if that unit is inside of a inside of a warranty, if you do anything to it and they can prove that you did something to it, you voided the warranty. It doesn't matter if it's a phone or a tractor. If you did something to it inside that time frame, you you voided your your ability to to have any kind of extended warranty coverage, whether it's a a, a power guard warranty or some other brand of warranty that's out there or you know, even inside the manufacturer's warranty. So um, I just, you're, you're putting a lot of, of risk out there, undue risk out there. Um, when you look at this kind of stuff uh, with, with the amount of what it costs, even even if you go to an independent shop compared to a, to a uh, one of our shops or, or whatever it might be, there's still a significant amount of cost involved in, in repairing these machines. Just to change the oil on the combine orders. 
Might spend right. three grand, change all the fluids on the combine. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, you know, you start looking at replacing engines and transmissions and hydrostats and all this other stuff because you wanted to add some horsepower to it. You need to start thinking about those kind of things. So, um, all right. So, we kind of went through kind of what the, the kind of the meat and potatoes of this whole thing is. So, how, how are we going to go about getting um, educating people on this? How are we going to work with the public? How are we going to get in front of our, our legislators and, and kind of give them our pitch? <clears throat> So I think first step is doesn't make any difference what color of equipment dealer you are. It's absolutely imperative that someone in your dealer group takes ownership in being knowledgeable, understanding what the potential is, and doing some research as to where that legislation's potential stands in your state. And, and I agree with Tom Casey. I think that the real deal is that it's um, the right to repair act has a lot of emotion behind it. You know, it's, it's, it's trying to tell somebody that you do not have the right to repair. You don't have the right to get access to your, your piece of equipment. You own it, but we really, you really don't own it. We, we still control it. And so there's a lot of emotion behind it. And I think that's where we need to separate the emotion from the true facts. And, and the fact is if, if you want to repair, you want to diagnose something today on your piece of John Deere equipment, you have that ability. With the release of Customer Service Advisor 5, you can hook up to your computer. You can hook it, hook through the computer's diagnostic port, and it'll tell you that code, just like we do today. Customers have that ability today. I think that um, what we need to push on legislation is that we, we don't want it to turn into where you can now hook through the EDL and now alter that piece of equipment. We don't want to alter the parameters. The engineering specs need to remain factory specs. You shouldn't be able to, to change that. But if you want to hook to it, you have that ability today. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's the one thing about factory specs. They spec them that way for a reason. Right. And there's a reason why in every owner's manual there are, you know, parameters and specifications set for, for the entire machine, whether it's the, you know, on a combine, whether it's the, the the number of links that are in a in a feeder house chain that's before you have to change the feeder house chain or whatever it might be, they're there for a reason. The guys that engineered those things ran them through a million different steps before they came to a realization that this has to be this way in order for A, B, C, and D all to work together correctly. And I think that's where we have to be. That's where the education part comes in, and that's where that communication comes in, and, and letting people understand that. Um, but I think when they boil it across all kinds of different manufacturing parameters you know when you look at ag and you're tying ag to a, a guy's toaster and the right to repair act is is affecting both i think there needs to be separate language in that law that that talks about there is a huge difference between a a five hundred thousand dollar combine and a fifty dollar toaster right right yep yep there is there's quite a bit there so tom you got anything to, to add into that point for you are we jumping to something different? No, I don't think so. I think the, uh, or again, we need to be transparent. We need to take an active role in trying to reach out to people that may influence it. We call some of those people we call lobbyists. Uh, we have lobbyists in, in each county that we do business with, and, and that's our Farm Bureau. And there, I think there's a little misunderstanding there, like Wayne said. 
we don't have a problem helping them do some of their own repairs as long as it's within the same the, the machine stays within the parameters of the way it was intended yeah no i and i i absolutely agree with you i think there's a Really, when it comes to these, whether I've been no, I've been around. I've only been doing this for about eleven years, so you guys have tons more experience in this dealer in this world than I do. But um, when I take a look, it seems like to me like one of the strongholds of our of our companies are employees. And if I, we can get our employees to buy into this and and, and understand the facts behind it, um, when they're having conversations with folks, it seems like those conversations become a, a lot different. Then when they when they start talking with their sales guy or whatever it is, if it's the parts guy talking to him about it, or it's the even the technician talking to him about it, um, it seems to to really gain some traction. Correct. I think the most trusted advisor in an entire dealership is typically our field technicians. A field technician can communicate with a, a producer and tell him, "Hey, you know what? That 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 combine there, I think I'd pass on it. I know that they're going to sell it to you at a really good price, but I, I've worked on it. And it's you know I've struggled with it. That sales deal is kinked, right? Absolutely, you're going to work oh, really man. hard to try to convince that producer to buy that combine just based on yeah. a few sentences that a field technician have to tell that producer. So they are one of our most trusted advisors inside the dealership. So if our technicians can share with our end users and our producers the fact that hey. Right to repair legislation isn't all that it's cracked up to be, and you guys trying to alter your your combine or your tractor, thinking that you're going to gain something. There, there's more to lose than there is to gain, obviously. And I, I think you're right. We we educate our producers and others on the legislation, and and I think if they separate the legislation just a little bit, and keep it ag sector manufacturing specs versus a toaster or an iPhone or yeah. anything else keep those issues separated i think that'll gain some traction in legislation mm-hmm. yeah the, the technicians again uh all they want to do is help guys when they go out right. there and they and, and the everyone out there that they work with all the customers they work with realize that so they know they're not trying to sell them something or or do whatever but they're there to, to make their life easier and they do have a a uh, big influence on what on what they're going to say and what they're not going to say because back to your point, you know, I've I've been a part of that. I don't know if you want to buy this or not thing. And and the, the the technician wasn't doing it out of mouth. He was just giving his honest opinion about what it was. And it wasn't so much he was saying it was junk, but he said it, it was more. It's going to need a lot more work than probably what you realize. So just be careful with that when you're looking to buy it. And he didn't mean anything by it. But the guy that was buying it from him was like, "Oh, damn, I don't want that thing. Yeah. It's going to fall apart." On you. <laughs> I'm so, passed. Yeah, so, been, been down that road. Been down that road. Passed. Been down that road, so so so. I, unfortunately, I think that there is a some culture that needs to be addressed in some dealers groups, so that they don't. They may not even realize that through tradition and through generations of how they've done business, they can become somewhat, for lack of better words, proprietary on information, and the more transparent, the more fulfilling you are in telling your customers what you're what they you think they're capable of doing how we can help you and have your technicians provide that attitude to them i think the most of our end users are going to realize you know that that legislation really probably isn't that important to us 
Yeah, that's a great point. So, I don't know. I think there's a lot lot to be careful of here. And it, it, like you said, it is a, a very thin line that we're trying to walk across here. But um, I think it's an important one that we need to, especially from, from a dealership perspective. It's one of those things that we have to absolutely keep front of mind and in front of our people and in front of the industry um, to help educate and be um, understand what when they open Pandora's box, what they're going to get. You know what I mean? So, well, that's uh, I think we've kind of hit it pretty good here, guys. Uh, Tom, you have anything, any last comments or anything before we, before we check out? The only, only thing, thing I would say, to Casey, is that um, I think it's important for there again, whoever takes ownership in it, in your dealership, contact your uh, equipment dealers association. They've got great resources to assist and <clears throat> your major manufacturers. I know Deere has, has some um, very capable people that are more than willing to coach people on how to get letters to legislators and, and reach out to them and explain our position and, and do it in a, in a way that is not condescending, but very proactive on doing the right thing. Wayne, you have anything before we jump off? No, you know what, Casey, I agree. Um, again, it's an emotional topic. It, when, when you just hear it on the surface, it sounds like we, we as an industry are trying to prevent our, our partners from working on their pieces of equipment. And that is, that is not the truth. We're really not looking to, to limit their ability to repair their own piece of equipment. What we're really trying to do is limit anybody from being able to go in and alter that equipment and, and, and cause damage. I mean, we're just really trying to protect their assets. Right. Yep. Okay. Well, that's good stuff, guys. So that's going to do it for this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. I'd like to thank Tom and Wayne for being on this edition. Remember, if you want to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or you can send me an email at movingironpodcast at movingironpodcast.com. This podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and SoundCloud. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour, out.